If you have a Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 22, right at the end. And we'll pick up in verse 66, Luke chapter 22 and verse 66. And we're continuing our study of the Gospel of Luke, making our way through uh, verse by verse. And we're nearing the end of uh, Jesus' life and ministry. Today we're going to look at the trials that he, that he uh, encountered, the, the not so much encountered, but the ones that he had or he went through right before he was uh, right before he was crucified. Now, you remember just kind of uh, remind you of where, where we are. Uh, we, last time we saw that Jesus had been uh, betrayed by one of his closest followers, a man by the name of Judas Iscariot, and then he was arrested by the religious authorities backed by the Roman cohort. So there were uh, hundreds of uh, soldiers and other people who were there to arrest him. He was taken to the house of a man named Annas, which we did not read about because Luke doesn't record it. And he was taken to the high priest's house, a man by the name of Caiaphas, and there he was questioned, he was put on trial, and um, and and you, you remember the, the the whole scene. Jesus was in there getting interrogated, and on while all that was going on, uh, his his follower Peter was in the courtyard sitting with the very people who had arrested Jesus. And he's sitting there, and and even though he was he had been brave enough to try and defend the Lord when all these uh, soldiers and everybody else were were surrounding them. There was one servant girl that identified him as being one of Jesus' followers, asked him about it. He denied knowing the Lord, and he eventually denied Christ three times. Now, just after he did that, you remember the rooster crowed, and Jesus looked at Peter. Peter looked at him and, and realized what he had done. He went out and wept bitter tears. So now Jesus is all alone in enemy territory, so to speak. All of his friends have deserted him. Uh, one, of his, one of his closest followers has, um, has betrayed him. Another one has denied him, and he's standing there all alone. He's surrounded by people who hate him, who are interrogating him. They begin to slap him and spit on him and hit him. And he just stands there and he takes it all. And that's where we pick up today. Jesus is in the home of the high priest, getting abused by the people. And this is, we're, we're going to pick up uh, right, right there. We're going to start off where he goes to the third. He actually has six um, trials the night before he was crucified. And, and, and into that day. So we're, we're going to be picking up as he's heading into his third. So if you found Luke 22 and are able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 66, and we're going to read down to uh, chapter 23 and verse 25. It says, When it was day, you remember all this had been happening at night, when it was day, the council of the elders of the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then, he said, then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it ourselves with his own mouth. Then the whole body of them got up and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. So Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, answered him and said, It is as you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they kept on insisting, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as this place. When Pilate heard it, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. And when he had learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who himself also was in Jerusalem at the time. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, because he had been hearing about him, and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. 
And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod uh, Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers of the people and said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. No, nor is Herod, for he sent him back to us. And behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore I will punish him and release him. Now he was obliged to release to them at least at the feast one prisoner. But they cried out altogether, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. And he was he was one who who was uh, he was one who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection made in the city and for murder. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, addressed them again. But they kept on crying out, saying, Crucify him! Cru- uh, crucify! Crucify him! He said to them the third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they were insistent, with loud voices, asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to prevail. And Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for, who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, this is a pretty lengthy text, but I've broken it down into three sections. And each has to do with a declaration. A declaration. The first declaration I want you to see is a declaration of divinity. A declaration of divinity. Look back at verse 66 if you would. Remember up to this point the leaders have, have been operating under the cover of darkness both physically and spiritually. They, they had done all this stuff at night. A bunch of the stuff that they had done was actually in fact illegal even though they were pretending to uphold the law and, and to execute the law. Uh, they had illegally arrest, arrested Jesus. They had tried him illegally at night. They had illegally they did it in a place that was illegal because they should have done it in a courthouse instead of a private residence. And they did all this stuff incorrectly. They done all this stuff under the cover of night, under the cover of darkness. And so then in verse 66, they decide that they need to do some things to, to at least have the appearance of doing what's right. Because if you look at verse 66, it says, The council of the elders of the people assembled when it was day. Okay, so now we've moved on into, into daytime, and this council that is mentioned is what's called the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of 71 elders of the people. They were religious experts, experts in the law of Moses, and they served like kind of what, what we might call today the Supreme Court. They were the ones that, that heard cases, and, and once they decided something, there was no appeal. They were the ultimate authority in the nation. And so they, they took Jesus before the, uh, the, the, the Sanhedrin. Now, when you hear that, you might think, oh, well, good, maybe Jesus will get a fair shake at things. Maybe, maybe things will be going a little bit better for him. But remember, these are the same guys who paid Judas to betray Jesus. These are the same guys who went out to arrest Jesus illegally at night with a paid uh, informer, I guess you'd say. These are the same guys who, who gathered together in the high priest's home and began to beat Jesus and spit on him and mock him and do all the other stuff to him. These are the same guys. So this is not the... the one group has done a bunch of bad stuff, and the Sanhedrin might make it right. The Sanhedrin is the one who's behind it all. And so this is, this is not a, a second chance for Jesus. This is all for appearance sake. It's a kangaroo court because they're trying to make it look like this is a legitimate trial. And so, so he doesn't have a, a, a fair shot. It, it's, it's a setup. 
It's all for appearance's sake. Now, look at verse 67. The high priest is speaking, and he adjures Christ. He, he, he puts him under oath and asks him to testify whether or not he is the Christ, whether or not he is the Messiah. Now, if the surviving documents we have about the law of, of, the, of the Jews at this time is accurate, even that question shouldn't have been asked. Because they, they basically treat it kind of like we have a Fifth Amendment. You, you can't be forced to incriminate yourself. You can't be forced to testify against yourself. They had much the same thing. So, so he, is, he is asking Jesus directly, are you the Messiah? And look at Jesus' answer in verses 67 and following. He said, if I tell you, you're not going to believe it anyway. But he doesn't stop there. He says, from now on, that's another way of saying soon, you're going to see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power of God. Now, it's kind of, if your Bible's like mine, it, it sets those words apart a little bit differently. If you, look at, if you look at the way that your Bible renders that. Because in mine, it puts it in all caps, because that's my translation's way of, of, showing, of showing you this is a quotation from the Old Testament. This is from Daniel chapter 7, where, where this mysterious figure called the Son of Man, is, he shows up and he's, he, he's, he's in heaven's throne room, you might say. And, and so when Jesus says this, and, and he's, he's linking himself with the Son of Man, he is, in essence, declaring, I'm divine. Now, we don't get that, because we're not as familiar with the Old Testament. But if you look at their response, you'll see they understood exactly what he's saying. Because they say in, in verse 67, are you the Messiah? He says this, and then verse 70, and they all said, Are you the Son of God then? They understood what Jesus is claiming. He is claiming to be divine. He is declaring his divinity. He is saying, I am more than just a man. I am the very Son of God. And so he says, they, they, they ask him that, verse 70, he says, Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Now Jesus is in a no-win situation here, because they say, Are you the Son of God? If he says yes, he incriminates himself. And, and, and he's going to be guilty, and he's going to be put to death. And if he says no, he's lying. So he's in a no-win situation, but he courageously says, yes, I am. Another rendering of that is, you said it. Now, in, in response to this, they flip out, and they claim that Jesus is blaspheming. They flip out. The, the, the high priest, Matthew's gospel says, tore his robes and says, what more do we need to hear? The, he, he is declaring himself to be divine now look at look at exactly what it said verse 71 what further do need do we have of testimony for we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth the it that he's referring to is blasphemy matthew 26 records it uh, plainly then the high priest tore his robes and said he is blasphemed what further need do we have of witnesses behold you have now heard the have heard the blasphemy what do you think they answered he deserves death now, blasphemy is speaking against God. And blasphemy in Judaism was a capital offense. It, it carried with it a death sentence. So when Jesus claimed to be God, that was an automatic death sentence. The thing is, they thought it was blasphemy, and it would have been if he was just a man. Because if I were to go out and say, I'm the son of God, I'm divine, that would be blasphemy. Because I'm just a man. I'm not, I'm not the son of God. In, in the same way that Jesus was the Son of God. I'm not divine. But when Jesus said it, it was not blasphemy because he was God's Son. He was divine. And so they said, they said what, what need do we have to hear of it? Now, this is just kind of a side note, but what did Jesus say? He said, if I tell you the truth, you're not going to believe it anyway. And he told them the truth, 
and they didn't believe it. So anyway, so they have him, they have him on the ropes. We, we've, we've heard it with our own ears. He needs to die. The problem is, there's no teeth because they can't put him to death. The, 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 the occupying force, Rome, had taken away that power. And so they have to take him to Rome, to, to, to the Roman governor, to say, you know what, this guy needs to die. The problem is, Rome doesn't care if some guy's walking around saying he's God. So what are they going to do? Well, that's, that's where we're going to see the second thing I want to, uh, the second declaration, and that is the declaration of innocence. A declaration of innocence. If you look at verse 1 and following. They bring him in before Pilate, and they start leveling a whole new, a whole, whole new group of charges against him. You'll notice they do not say, he's guilty of blasphemy. Because Pilate doesn't care if he's walking around saying that or not. So first, they, it's kind of like flinging mud against the wall and see what sticks. They start rattling off a whole bunch of different things. First, I want you to see uh, the, the, the different things they uh, accuse him of. Verse 2. First, they say that he misled the nation. Now, that word misled means to pervert or to make crooked. And this is a complaint of what Jesus was supposedly doing to the Jewish nation. They were saying, this guy has come in and he's, he has misinterpreted, he has mistaught, he has misapplied the word of God, and he is, he, because of it, is, he's making the nation crooked. He is distorting the nation. He is perverting the nation. Now, given what Pilate says, they may also have said that he was also stirring up the people to rebellion. But we know that Jesus is, this is patently false. He is not misleading the nation. But then they also say, if, if you'll continue uh, continue, to fall, uh, continue reading uh, the, the rest of the verse in verse 2. He not only misled the nation, they also say he forbade them to pay taxes to Caesar. Now, people and governments will tolerate a lot of things. But once you start messing with their money, that gets everybody's attention, doesn't it? And so they know that if they start talking about tax money, that's going to get Rome's ears perked up. Now, the thing is, the very week that this happened... Jesus had been in the temple, and they had tried to trip him up in this. You remember? They said, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? You remember that? And Jesus said, well, give me a coin. And whose inscription and likeness is on here? And they said, Caesar. And what was Jesus' response? Render to Caesar what? The things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So Jesus explicitly taught, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes. And they said, no. He said, don't pay taxes. Again, this is patently false. These are out-and-out lies. The third charge was that Jesus was making a claim, if you look at the end of verse 2, to be king. Now this one is actually a true thing. The Messiah was to be God's king, and he would rule and reign and, 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 and so on forever. But notice, if you'll, if you'll think about all that Jesus did and said and taught, his, his kingdom was not of this world. His kingdom was not one that, he, he was not some sort of a, a political revolutionary. That's what they were expecting the Messiah to be. And Jesus wasn't like that. He was, he was about something different. And so yes, they said something that was factually accurate, but they misrepresented it and turned it into a lie. So Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king? Are you the king of the Jews? Verse 3. And he says, I am. You said it. Then look at verse 4. And here we see the first declaration of his innocence. Verse 4. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. Now, I also want you to notice a detail, because up to this point, Pilate's been dealing with primarily the Sanhedrin, the, the, the 71 
uh, people, but also there would have been uh, other people who were involved in this, so probably 70 to 100 people who were standing there uh, passionately calling for the death of Christ. But if you'll notice in, in these verses, in verse 4, Pilate not only speaks to the chief priests, but also to the crowds. So, 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 so we don't know where this crowd comes from. Maybe it was people who were there because they saw a commotion and they decided to stop by and see what's happening. It could have been people that, that uh, were in on the conspiracy. It could have been people that, that, that the, the chief priests and the scribes paid off, kind of like they did Judas, to come and, and, and get people worked up. We don't know exactly what's going on, but, but anyhow, there's this bigger crowd starting to, starting to form. Then they made a fourth charge. He stirs up the people. Maybe look at verse 5. Their alleged proof for the, for the charge is because lots of people came to listen to him. And so they're making all kinds of stuff up. It's, it's nothing that's worthy of death, but they're doing anything and everything they can to try and get him to be crucified. Now, now Pilate finds out that Jesus is from Galilee. That's down south. And he's happy because this is starting to be a problem for him. And he doesn't want to have to deal with this problem of Jesus. And so he says, oh, he's from Galilee. That's somebody else's problem. So he sends him off to Herod. Now, now I've mentioned this before, but there are multiple Herods in the New Testament. There's Herod the Great. He was the one who was alive whenever Jesus was born. He was the one who had the, 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 the babies in Bethlehem uh, slaughtered. His son, Herod Antipas, is the one who's in charge now. Now, Herod Antipas is the guy who beheaded Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. So, so Herod Antipas is, is a bad guy. He, he comes from bad stock. And he's glad when Jesus arrives because he's, he's wanted to hear Jesus for a while. He, he's heard about all these miraculous things that he's been able to do. And, and so he is happy because he didn't, he, you know, Jesus did these miracles and he would, he would refuse. Sometimes people would say, show us a sign. Show us a sign that we may believe. And Jesus wouldn't do it. He, Herod doesn't even want a sign so that he would believe. He just wants to see a show. He just wants to see a spectacle. He sees him more, not, not as a prophet, but more like a magician. He just wants to see him do some sort of miraculous act. He just wants to see a, a sideshow, so to speak. And so Jesus goes before him. He begins to ask him a bunch of questions. And, and here we have a tragic report because Jesus, the Bible says, doesn't answer him a single word. Now, can you imagine? You have all these people accusing you. You have somebody asking you a bunch of questions directly. You would at least want to defend yourself. Say, no, that's not what I said. That's not what I did. No, you're misrepresenting me. You're misquoting me. He doesn't do any of that. He just stands there. And I say it's tragic because, remember, Galilee is Herod's realm. He could have gone and listened to and seen Jesus any time that he wanted. And he, he refused. And now he wants to hear from Jesus, and Jesus refuses. And I say that's tragic because so many times people will put off responding to Jesus. They'll say, well, you know, I'll wait, till, I'll wait till next week. I'll wait till the situation in my life's better. I'll wait till this or I'll wait till that. I'll wait till the kids are out of the house. I'll wait till whatever it is. And, 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 and you can wait too late. That's what Herod did. So Herod gets tired of, of messing with him. He begins to treat him with contempt. His, his soldiers, the guards around, begin to treat him with, with contempt. They put a robe on him to mock him and his claim to be king of the Jews and, and so forth. And here we see an implied declaration, if we can call it that, because verse 15, Pilate says, Herod sends back to him. Why? Because he's, he saw him as innocent. So we have a second declaration of Jesus' innocence. Pilate found him innocent. Herod finds him innocent. Then he goes back before Pilate, verse 14. And a third time, verse 14, 
he is declared innocent. And he, Pilate, said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges you make against him. He's innocent. Now the religious mob's unhappy about this. Pilate tries to compromise. He says, You know what? I won't kill him. I'll just have him flogged. I'll have him scourged. Now that's as unjust as having him crucified because he's, he's innocent. But the people are, are unhappy with that. And finally, I want you to see a declaration of hatred. A declaration of hatred. Look at verse 18. The people hear this, and they begin to cry out. They begin to declare it all together, saying, Away with this man and release for us Barabbas. We don't care that he's innocent. We want Barabbas to be released. Now, we don't know anything about Barabbas except what's mentioned in the Gospels. But from what we see in the Gospels, he was not a good, a good guy. He was an insurrectionist. He was a murderer. In other words, he was a notorious criminal. He, he was in some sort of revolt against Rome. And presumably in, in this revolt, he'd actually killed somebody to, to try and overthrow their power. Now, the great irony here is that's the kind of stuff that they were accusing Jesus of doing. And this is the guy who actually did it. And they said, you know what? Let's have the innocent guy killed and release the guy who's actually guilty. Now, verse 22, look at what it says. We see a fourth declaration of his innocence. But they were insistent with loud voices asking him to be crucified, and their voices uh, prevailed. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, yeah, verse 22. And he said to them a third time, Why, what evil has this man done? I found, no, found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. So four times he is declared innocent. And yet the mob who is stirred up by the religious establishment, probably mostly, uh, they were probably the ones who were mainly clamoring for his death, they began to prevail, and, and finally, uh, Pilate, in a moment of weakness and cowardice, says, all right, just kill him. Just put him to death. Just crucify Jesus. And the guilty sinner Barabbas is set free. Now I want to over-spiritualize things because this is something that actually happened in history. But I want you to see that in this little, this little incident with Barabbas, that is a picture of precisely what happened with Jesus on the cross. And what I mean by that is here's a man, Barabbas, who is guilty. He has been weighed in the balances and found wanting. He has violated the law. He is condemned justly so. Likewise, you and I stand condemned before God. We are justly condemned. We have broken the law of God. We have, we have rebelled against Him. We have... We have done things that we should not have done. We have left undone things that we should have done. And like Barabbas, we are guilty and justfully condemned. And don't, th don't think that you have to wait until you die and stand before God to be condemned. Because the Bible says, Jesus himself says in John 3.18, He who believes in him, Jesus, he who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe in him, uh, he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now again, that's not something that Jeff came up with. That's something that Jesus said. Apart from Christ, you stand condemned today. But just like Barabbas, there's somebody that will take your place. And that person is Jesus. Jesus went to the cross in the place of Barabbas. And likewise, Jesus went to the cross in the place of all those who had trusted in him. He paid the debt 
in full. He suffered the wrath of God on the cross. He died so that we would not have to. He died vicariously. He took our place to suffer so that we would not have to. And because of that, all who would trust in Christ are free. They're free from the power of sin, but also free from the penalty of sin. He takes our place. The the Bible says those that the Son sets free are what? They are free indeed. There's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And today, if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, I, I call on you and I encourage you to do that today. Because you can be a lot of care. You can, you can have had all the opportunities. Maybe you've been invited to church a bunch of times. Maybe you've gone to church a bunch of times. But you've never listened when the Lord has called you. You've never responded when the Lord has spoke to your, spoken to your heart. You can wait too long. You can sin past your day of grace, so to speak. We sing it in, 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 our, we sing it in our songs. Would you be free from, from, from your burden of sin? What's the cure? There's power in the blood. Power to wash you and cleanse you and make you whiter than snow. And if you've never done that, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to do that. Now for those of us who have done that, now's a good time to to pray and, and thank God that Jesus died for you. Because just like Barabbas, you didn't deserve it. You didn't you didn't deserve, you didn't earn Christ dying in your place. He did it because of his grace, not because of your deserving. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come? And as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just I want to encourage you. to honestly take stock of your spiritual condition. Are you like Herod, who's had opportunity, but you never responded? Are you like Peter, who's maybe denied the Lord in the workplace, in your home, or at school? Jesus didn't take your place because you were such a great guy or gal. He did it in spite of the way that you are. Heavenly Father, thank you that thank you that you offer salvation freely, without charge, without cost to us. But we know that it costs Jesus his everything. It costs him his very life. Lord, I pray that if there's somebody who's hearing me today that's never accepted Christ as their Savior, that you would draw them to yourself. Let none of us be like Herod who passes up the opportunities that are offered to us. And then at some later time, we think, well, now would be a good time to hear Jesus. And it's too late. Lord, again, we thank you that you have shown us a merited, free grace when we do not deserve it. 
Lord, if there's, again, somebody here needs to make that decision for you, I pray that you'd help them to do that. We lift up our friends and our loved ones who need to do that and ask that you'd work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.